American View, folks. On this Friday, it is February 7th, 2020, 8.08 a.m. Good to be with you. What a week it's been. You know, last week at the end of the week, we said, wow, it feels like the month of January has been three months. Well, this last week feels like it's been, you know, three months again. So much news happened. So, you know, starting with the Super Bowl, obviously, Iowa caucus, you know, that one was a disaster. Then, of course, we had the State of the Union and President Trump was acquitted with a little bit of drama on Wednesday. So now and then, of course, yesterday, President Trump spoke um, or Thursday, excuse me, he spoke about the fact that uh, he was acquitted at the White House. He also made remarks on that with Speaker Pelosi at the prayer breakfast um, where things got a little bit dicey. So all very interesting. We're going to cover all of that today. Good to be with you here. Um, this is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. My name is Ben Dietrich. I'm here at the producer, Andrew Nell, in our Hillsdale studios, coming to you live this morning on behalf of Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So where to start? Um, I'd like to start today with uh, the Iowa caucus, because that's what happened first this week. And honestly... There's a lot that, you know, people are talking about the disaster that happened because we don't, we do, we're still getting the last percentage of votes. It looks like it's a nail biter right now that, that Pete Buttigieg is going to squeak out on top with 0.1 percentage point above Bernie. But even that much is unclear. We've heard the DNC chair call for a complete re canvas of Iowa. So you could see them just try to redo this whole thing. Um, the biggest story, though. The biggest story has nothing to do with the results of Iowa. The biggest story is that the turnout was considerably lower than they were hoping for. This is a very big indicator for how 2020, when it comes down to Trump versus whoever the Democrat nominee, how that turnout is going to be. So if you look at the numbers here, okay, in... 2008, when Barack Obama was uh, running, the turnout in Iowa was at a record, but it was at about 200, 217,000, okay? This year, what they got was closer to about 170,000. It was, in fact, matched up with the turnout that they had when Hillary Clinton was running. And uh, it seems that those numbers could actually be a little bit lower than Hillary Clinton's numbers. What does that mean if they're on pace for 2016 numbers? Well, the obvious conclusion there is that what you get is a 2016 result. Um, Everybody knows that probably the biggest problem with Hillary Clinton is that she was not very inspiring for a lot of voters. She caused a lot of voters to stay home, which seemed to be the downfall for her. Um, We saw a lot of Bernie Sanders voters that were very angry because they felt like the election had been fixed. Well, shocker, they're still angry today because, once again, the Democratic Party seems to be um, conditioning for yet another situation where Bernie Sanders could be pushed out. That was also probably the weirdest aspect of this, this whole weekend. I would say that's the second biggest story 
Once again, it has nothing to do with the final results that come through. And that is the fact that Bernie Sanders was shown leading this race, according to the Iowa um, Des Moines Register poll that, that came out that was not released on Saturday. They said the reason they did not release this poll was because that they were worried the numbers were not correct, that they had made an error in the way they collected the data by maybe perhaps making one candidate um, or one candidate not appearing on all the ballots. But the, the bottom matter is that Bernie Sanders was, whether that's true or not, Bernie Sanders was leading a lot. And even, you know, in these numbers we're seeing now, he is in a nail-biter with Pete Buttigieg. These, this is not the polling information we got going into this. I mean, we saw that uh, Sanders was doing well and that he perhaps would come out on top. But we did not see Biden, for instance, placing in fourth uh, place like he, he is currently, which is super interesting there on that point. So now we go to New Hampshire. But a judge is still managing to keep it up. He is still uh, doing well there. Um, you know, he is starting to, to etch up in the polls. Biden not doing so well, not looking good for Biden at all. Uh, the best is the other, you know, thing, of course, with everything that's happened the Democrat reaction to what happened in Iowa has been so interesting. The Republicans have been pretty standard. They've said, basically, how do you expect these guys to run your health care if they can't even run an election? The Democrats are trying to figure out what the heck happened in Iowa and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, the funniest part, though, is this Iowa, or this congresswoman, Democrat Texas congresswoman, who claims in a House Judiciary meeting that Russia could be responsible for what happened in Iowa. Russia. It never ends. It never never ends, friends. You got to hear this. Uh, Quickly, I hope that the Iowa Democrats will ask for an FBI investigation on the app. I believe that Russia has been engaged in interfering with a number of our elections uh, dealing with uh, the 21 election. I'm sorry, the um, 2016 election. Would you answer these two questions about voter suppression and about uh, your work to end racial profiling? I've introduced legislation on that. And there's extensive racial profiling, specifically in groups that may be considered black identity. So you heard it. She wants the FBI, because she was talking to Christopher Ray, the FBI director. She wants the FBI to investigate whether or not Russia was responsible for what happened in Iowa. Okay, even the mainstream media has pointed out the obvious in this situation, okay? They, they, they've even pointed out the fact that this app was not tested properly. They did not give training to the people that used it. Um, it was rolled out very quickly, and, and, and they didn't do their due diligence to make sure it worked. It kind of reminds me of when the Obama healthcare website was rolled out, healthcare.gov, and what a disaster that was for the first couple of months. So I, I don't think we should be shocked. But the, there is no evidence whatsoever at this point in time that Russia had anything to do with what happened. But this is what the Democrats like to do. I mean, they literally have blamed everything on Russia. Even Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat, was accused of being a Russian asset because, by Hillary Clinton. I mean, sometimes I feel like they're chickens with their heads cut off because they just recite the same stuff over and over and over again. 
And, and, and you saw the same thing with what happened, you know, with Trump. So the State of the Union, oh, by the way, great speech, I, I got to say, I thought. We're going to talk, by the way, with Henry Olson later on in the show today about that State of the Union and the Iowa caucuses. So make sure you stay tuned. American View here, Radio Free Hillsdale. It was a great speech. Um, the thing is, the way the Democrats behave, particularly Pelosi, and then, of course, you have people like AOC, which I kind of, you obviously suspect it, but especially Pelosi, the way they behaved was so childish. I mean, Trump basically trolled them the entire time. And if you don't know what that word means, it means that he gave a, a speech in which he knew it would create a reaction from them that would make them look bad. He knew that they would, you know, kind of their own reaction would be the death of them in that news cycle. And quite frankly, he was right, okay? The speech had a lot of moving parts, and they were genuine parts. Um, Rush Limbaugh received a Medal of Freedom. That, that was not even, I would say, the most moving part, but it certainly was, especially for the fans out there that are Rush Limbaugh fans. And, you know, we wish him our, our prayers as he battles his cancer. But even beyond that, I mean, you saw people, you know, a black schoolgirl from Philadelphia receive a scholarship. Uh, you know, we saw um, a war hero from World War II, one of the first African-Americans to fly a fighter jet, was, you know, um, up, uh, promoted in the middle of the ceremony, in the middle of the speech to a brigadier general. We saw, you know, countless examples of American heroes um, and we even saw a family reunited in the middle of the State of the Union. It was, it was pretty cool. And not only did the Democrats not clap for all these points, but when Nancy Pelosi ripped up that speech, I swear, I mean, these guys, sometimes I don't think they understand how they can beat Trump. Because if you try to be a child or you try to be, to try and get on Trump's level, you will always lose. That is like what Trump wants you to do. And, and, and to be fair, I mean, they do it. <laughs> you know, they know that Trump is bombastic, but you don't, you, know, you don't respond crazy with more crazy. That doesn't work. Trump has figured out a very good way or effective way, I think is the right word, to reach both American voters and to show the hypocrisy of the left. And these guys literally fall for it every time. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Let's, let's hear AOC respond to the rush moment in the Presidential Medal of Freedom. You tell me if this sounds like, you know, a congresswoman to you. Reaction to Rush Limbaugh receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom. First of all... The Presidential Medal of Freedom is an extraordinarily sacred um, award. We're talking about putting someone on the same level as Rosa Parks, you know, right. for example, in terms Real of their quick, contributions to. Yes, Rosa Parks received the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously, by the way. The Presidential Medal of Freedom, I look, it is, I guess, I don't, I think sacred is too strong of a word to use. That's, that's not the main point I'm criticizing this video, but I just want to make something clear that like Donald Trump, by giving this to somebody that is clearly conservative, he's not um, setting a new precedent. This award has been awarded to people like Robert De Niro. Okay? 
Do you consider Robert De Niro's contributions to America equal with Rosa Parks? Really? Like, give me a break. I, I don't think AOC had anything to say when Obama awarded it out to like 10 Hollywood stars from Oprah to, you know, a bunch of other ones like De Niro and, and several others. This award is basically a medal that was established by John F. Kennedy's administration and the Truman administration. And, um, and it basically has become something that was originally for people that were involved in World War II but weren't actually military members and then became basically a civilian medal that could be awarded by the president for any act that he deemed was worthy of being recognized. And then, and, and, you know, it was during the Obama years. I mean, Joe Biden got the award from Obama. That was probably the funniest thing you've ever seen. I mean, that was the thing that they had memes about because Biden and Obama, you know, the way they looked at each other as they put on the medal, everybody was making, taking pictures of it. I'm um, talking about how cute it was. So no, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, it is not this incredibly sacred thing. That is not to take away from all the accomplishments uh, Rush Limbaugh had in his life. I would just say that he is cer- certainly on par with past winners and, in my opinion, has exceeded what a lot of those past winners brought, have brought to America. And uh, let's hear more from AOC. To American progress. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is a violent racist, um, but even just on top of that, um, to do it in the middle of a State of the Union and not even dignify it with its own ceremony as it has, it, there's all sorts of norms that are being violated, not just for people's humanity, but also it truly just cheapens the value of it. Um, right. <laughs> also, him pretending to be surprised. I, you know, not just for people's humanity. I, I, I don't know how people's humanity has been violated by uh, Rush Limbaugh getting, getting this award during the State of the Union. Um, the idea that Rush Limbaugh is a racist is just unsupported. But this is what they do. This is what AOC does. This is what the younger generation of woke leftists do. It's no secret. We've talked about this a bunch on the show. They don't like somebody, then they must be a bigot. If you're a bigot, if you're a racist, a homophobic, whatever, you don't deserve the time of day from these people. AOC has to throw the insult on Rush probably because she gets brownie points from her far left supporters. Who she doesn't get brownie points from is, you know, the incredibly large audience that, that, that Rush Limbaugh has. Then and again, she knows that they didn't really like her to start with. But, at, you know, at the same time, I mean... The, the things that she's spouting here are, are just false. She's going to go on here to say now that this award and the way that Rush reacted was just completely fake. Was such a joke. This has been news all day. There have been multiple reports for multi, from multiple news outlets saying that Rush Limbaugh was going to receive the Medal of Freedom. And then Trump right. announced it and he had to, like, you know, pretend that so, this was some kind of... Oprah moment. <laughs> I, I think it was kind of an Oprah moment. I, I think it wasn't the only Oprah moment. There's no doubt that President Trump was an entertainer and um, he knew what the, how this would all play out. And, and the best part about it is the Democrats are playing right along. You know, you don't think Donald Trump would post this video of AOC to Twitter. You don't think this is what he wants. I mean, can you really not see this, that this reaction... Is just like fueling his base. Okay. She's wrong about the fact that 
that the report said that he was going to receive the medal at this event. That's not true. There were reports that the president was going to announce that Rush Limbaugh was receiving the medal. Rush did not know, as far as we know, as far as any media evidence suggests, that he was going to receive it in front of the entire Congress, all of the U.S. government, basically. <laughs> that he did not know, and in front of, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans. Usually these ceremonies happen on TV or, you know, in the White House. Sometimes they're covered by networks, but most of the time they're not. So I would say, yeah, I would probably be emotional too if I got, you know, a Medal of Freedom on national TV. So that, that was just not true. But that's what you expect. Okay, so Trump gets acquitted the next day. Mitt Romney decides to vote against him. Um, the only Republican to do so. Democrats, of course, allow this. Some have observed the fact and made the question, which I think is, is something that we should all keep in mind and ask ourselves, what does Mitt Romney stand for? What is he actually in support for? There's a great Federalist article about this out this week that just made the point. They went around the Hill and asked people off the record, like, okay, like, what is this guy's like, main policy he is pushing? Like, what did he campaign on? Even the stuff he campaigned on, he, he you know, primed himself as somebody that was uh, apparently in Utah, you know, pro um, immigration, you know, anti-Trump immigration policies. He's now flipped on that. Um, and since then, now he's called himself a staunch defender of uh, the immigration policies of the Trump administration. The guy has literally flip-flopped his entire life. And I'm not saying that it's it's bad for a politician to, to, to change views. You know, people who say that it's great Bernie Sanders has been consistently a socialist, I think just, no, that's... <laughs> You know, it matters what you believe in, but I I don't see any sort of prudential thinking in the way that Mitt Romney operates. Just something to ask yourselves. What what does he fight for? I don't know. I don't know what his principles are that guide him. Um, I don't think a lot of voters do either. But we'll move on from that because there's more to cover today, and we got Henry Olson to talk with after the break. Um, we're going to talk about the implications for everything with Henry. He's great. He's from the Washington Post. He worked, uh, is a fellow of the EPPC Ethics Public Policy Center. He can predict elections, guys. He's, he's really great. So stay tuned with us here on American View, Radio Free Hillsdale. You guys need to see some of these reactions. Hear some of these reactions from the acquittal. Even CNN cannot let Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, very esteemed, who played such a lovely role in the in the Brett Kavanaugh trials, get away with what she has to say with Trump's acquittal. The petty, vindictive, spoiled brat, Trump. Expect more. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, The Senate has clearly spoken now. The president was acquitted. Do you think your House colleagues... Wolf, (laughs) he wasn't acquitted. It was a rigged trial. You don't get acquitted when you don't even get to call witnesses or relevant witnesses or have the documents because the president stonewalled all efforts on the part of the House to get the information they requested. So there you go. It was a rigged trial. He can run around saying he was acquitted, but uh, you don't get acquitted in a rigged trial. I just want to point out, uh, Senator, uh, there was a roll call, guilty or not guilty. Yes. Not guilty uh, was the majority. And the, speak, yes. and, and the Chief Justice of the United States announced that he was acquitted, that he was not guilty. 
but the American public knows that it was a rigged trial. So, okay, you're found not guilty in a rigged trial. I don't think that, that, that they think that this was all kosher. No, it wasn't. So, meanwhile, you have the president crowing about it, which is totally expected. Okay, so uh, let, let's operate under the assumption here that we, we understand the way these Democrats think. I, I just want to make one thing clear. In Maisie Hirona's world, which is this, this is the same thing, basically, it wasn't just Hirona who's used this logic. She's getting this from Pelosi, okay? In their world, if you are not convicted, then you are still guilty. You are guilty until proven innocent. Now, this is not a criminal trial. President Trump was never accused of any actual crimes, any laws in the law books. This, these were high crimes and misdemeanors deemed by the House which which did not amount to anything illegal. But still, they still believe that just by the fact that he was not, you know, accused or that he was not convicted, that still makes him guilty. It's incredible. The goalposts continue to move and they will never stop moving, I swear, until until he's out of office. And which I, I think after this impeachment will will be post 2024. A long time from now. Trump's made a lot of memes about that online. They're pretty funny. If you can't tell he's making a joke about it, then you're, you're missing something. Just throwing that out there. When we get back, Henry Olson will be with us over the phone from Washington, D.C. We're going to tell you what all this week means in terms of polls and predictions for 2020. Stay with us. American View, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, where Hillsdale meets the nation. We got one of our our best guests on today, Henry Olson from the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's a fellow there. Um, He spends a lot of time out at the Hillsdale, D.C. campus. He goes out there and speaks on some panels. And he also is a columnist for The Washington Post. Um, He is the reason, one of the reasons that we... We're so privileged to win Best Talk Show last year in Michigan, a college talk show, the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. We submitted the episode in which he came on um, the night before the 2018 elections. So, Henry, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, and I'm glad I could help you guys win an award. You deserve it. Thanks. Yeah, well, we really appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun, and, and we um, were excited to talk to you again today. This was such a big week, obviously, for politics. So much happened um, from the Iowa caucuses to the State of the Union and acquittal. And obviously, you, you like to think that some of this stuff will impact the way that voters make decisions. And there's nobody better to go to than, than Henry Olson for that. <laughs> well, I think it has been quite a week. Uh, you've seen a historic meltdown in Iowa that uh, the Democratic Party uh, devised a system that was too complicated for its own uh, the volunteers to execute properly. You saw a House Democratic impeachment effort that was too complicated and too transparently partisan uh, to work. And uh, now you've got a Democratic Party that's trying to figure out 
how to recoup from these issues. And their leading candidates are a 38-year-old uh, man who's uh, got no national experience and yeah. a uh, 78-year-old man who's not even a Democrat. What a, what a week. So, so, yeah, let's start with that. Um, in Iowa, you know, everybody obviously was talking about the disaster that happened with the fact that they just couldn't get this app to work. You know, they got the congressman from Texas or congresswoman from Texas saying that, the, you know, this could have been Russia when it really seems like they just didn't roll out the app properly. But the other story I saw was the fact that the turnout in Iowa was basic, not nearly at the levels that they had for Barack Obama in 2008 during those primaries. And it was much more akin to when Hillary Clinton ran in 2016. Do you think that that is a good indicator that they're not very enthused about the candidates that they have? Um, well, I think the base is uh, enthusiastic about the candidates that they have, although they're enthusiastic about different people. But it's uh, an indication that uh, they've lost uh, contact with a large section of Iowa voters. That uh, in 2008, uh, Iowa was a swing state that leaned Democratic because of blue-collar white voters. Uh, and they came out in the Democratic primary or caucus of 2008. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't interested in the Democratic Party anymore. Even Bernie Sanders can't get them worked up. And that just suggests that uh, uh, they have the same weakness that cost them the presidency in 2016 and that none of these people can address it. So you think that what we see in Iowa, obviously you can't attribute to the way that the, the enthusiasm would be in perhaps like a coastal state, but um, it does indicate perhaps what we could be looking at in other states like Michigan um, or other Midwestern states. Absolutely. That, you know, one of the things that the media has never really reported on is that in 2016, Republican turnout in Republican primaries and caucuses almost equaled that of Democrats. That's never happened before. And the reason it happened is because lots of people who used to vote in Democratic primaries and caucuses came in to vote for Donald Trump. And uh, 2018 showed that they're staying. And the Iowa turnout shows that they're still staying. They're just not into Democrats anymore. You know, that that's really interesting because Bernie Sanders, one of the things people have been talking about is the fact that he has similarities to, to Trump in the sense that he does kind of have a populist movement, a grassroots movement. Um, he can fill larger rooms. But the question, I guess, has been is, is how dangerous is Bernie Sanders really? Does he attract, you know, uh, the, the Trump voter, so to speak, the, the, the people that have switched sides uh, in 2016 from 20, 2008? Yeah, what, the evidence from Iowa is absolutely not. You know, I've spent a lot of time looking at the precinct returns, and Bernie Sanders' vote is uh, highly concentrated in the uh, inner cities in Iowa and in college campuses. He had no appeal uh, to suburbanites, and he shockingly had little to no appeal uh, among rural Iowans, of the sort of places where uh, Donald Trump completely swept the board with former Democrats. Bernie's been camped out in Iowa uh, for months. Uh, he's had a chance to tell, get those people interested, and they just aren't into him. This guy is a populist paper tiger. Right. And then i got to ask you about uh, Bloomberg as well, because he kind of presents something completely different to the field. Obviously, he was not really campaigning in Iowa. He's been focusing on the big states um, and for Super Tuesday – 
But do you think that he is a threat for the president? I mean, is, is he the best person to go against him out of the Democrat field? I mean, can money buy you an election? I guess it's a couple of questions no, there. Money cannot buy you an election. Money can buy you the opportunity to make your case. But uh, I've always believed that message trumps money. You know, Donald Trump, I think, showed that, that he had a message that attracted attention, even though he was outspent both in the primary and the general election. Uh, and what Bloomberg offers is consensus, stay the course, uh, center-left uh, liberalism. And you look at that and you say, well, why would I want Mike Bloomberg rather than Pete Buttigieg? Why would I want Mike Bloomberg rather than Amy Klobuchar? And then for the swing voters of America, yes, why would you want Mike Bloomberg rather than Donald Trump? I think it'll be extremely difficult for Mike Bloomberg to break through, in part because He's not offering something that other candidates in the field aren't offering. And uh, the evidence from Iowa is uh, Pete Buttigieg will head into Super Tuesday with enough money to make his case and a heck of a lot more free media than Mike Bloomberg. And I still don't think he's going to win a single primary. Yeah. yeah. Buttigieg is such an interesting candidate just because, you know, he kind of poses as a moderate, but he said some things that don't indicate that. So who is your favorite as of now? Because when we talked in December, um, I mean, I know it's, it's hard <laughs> to choose. When we talked in December, I believe you said it was Biden. He's obviously kind of imploded since then, or at least in Iowa. Yeah. And now he's dropping in the polls everywhere else and continues to. Who would you say has the best chance at defeating Donald Trump if you um, are Democrat? Well, yeah, it, it, the, the dynamics are still the same, which is that the candidate who can beat Donald Trump is a candidate who scares the fewest amount of voters in the middle. Uh, and the, the problem with Biden is he may not scare anybody, but he doesn't excite anybody either. I think that's what we now know that we weren't sure of in December. Um, so I look at the Democratic field, and I think there's nobody who is likely to win the nomination who is really a strong candidate against Trump, that Sanders and Warren, uh, who placed two and three in Iowa, will scare a lot of voters. And Buttigieg is an untested unknown, uh, who we don't even know yet uh, whether or not he's got things in his past or how he can hand, handle the uh, sort of attacks he's inevitably going to get. So uh, the Democrats seem uh, uh, enthusiastic about not nominating the people who could beat Donald Trump. Uh, and consequently, we're in a, a very increasingly favorable position for Trump re-election. Right. Um, and that kind of feeds into the next part I was hoping to talk about, which was um, the other things that happened this week. Um, first, of course, you have President Trump's State of the Union. Uh, it seems that you wrote, like uh, some other people, that, you know, President Trump does great in these types of situations. But the question is, does that continue? Usually, it, you know, he, he, he changes his behavior back to what we're more used to, kind of the more bombastic Trump. We saw a little bit about that, a little bit like that, you know, when he had his in, impeachment acquittal uh, conference in the White House. So what do you think this all means now? I mean, obviously, the message the Democrats are pushing is that Trump was not actually acquitted. Macy Hirono said it great yesterday on CNN. You know, she said this was not, you know, an acquittal. And even Wolf Blitzer corrected her, <laughs> which is unusual yeah. for CNN. What do you think? What do you think the voters think? Uh, I, I think the, the voters who are partisans on both sides, which is, say, about 90 percent of the people, um, will 
take the side of their leaders. You know, Democrats who hate Trump will say that that, that uh, Trump wasn't acquitted. Republicans who love Trump say, of course he was, and in fact he should never have been impeached. And the people in the middle are having this massive uh, hedge, you know, shrug. I saw a poll this morning, and they asked, "Does the impeachment make you more or less likely to, you know, impeachment and acquittal make you more or less likely to vote for Trump?" Democrats overwhelmingly less likely. Republicans overwhelmingly more likely. And for independents, uh, 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 over sixty, over fifty percent uh, said it made no difference. And I think that's where it is: is that this whole thing that has riveted the political elites are, is completely irrelevant to the people right. who will decide the election. And I would agree with you there, but but um, on other issues, I, I I wonder if there has been some movement. You know, the president has been working very hard to make it look like he's busy as this impeachment stuff has been happening. And at the State of the Union, you kind of saw the results of that. I mean, touting the accomplishments, not just on the economy, but the other things that the administration has been busy doing to make it look like that they were, you know, uh, accomplishing things and that they're keeping their promises. Do you think that the president's State of the Union, I mean, swayed independent voters? There were some polls coming out from CNN and other places suggesting that, that, you know, it was approved of quite well by people that were perhaps in the middle. Yeah. You know, State of the Unions usually give presidents a short-term bounce. Uh, and then the question is what follows up from that. And that's why, uh, you know, I wrote the piece about teleprompter Trump versus Twitter Trump, is that teleprompter Trump is somebody who uh, uh, reaches out to the middle and gets uh, support, and Twitter Trump turns those people off. So a lot of the question is going to be, how does he conduct himself over the next couple of months? Is he somebody who comes across as vindictive, mean, and petty, uh, which are negative things for him? Or does he build on the State of the Union to say, as hard as it is for me to put this, you know, put put it behind me, I'm going to do my best. Mm -hmm. I think if he takes the latter course, um, he can see uh, his job approval rise. If he takes the former course, this will just be uh, a short-term bump that in three weeks will go back to normal. Right. Well, um, this has been Henry Olson here on American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Uh, he's from the Ethics Public Policy Center, also a columnist for The Washington Post. Now, there, there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal today by the editorial board talking about the fact that Trump has been specifically trying to court uh, African-American voters and other minorities. We saw this in the Super Bowl commercial on Sunday that talked about the criminal justice reform that the president passed along with the Democrats in the House, of course. And now we're seeing um, that, you know, at the State of the Union, it seemed that there was uh, some efforts to do this as well. They obviously like to talk about economic numbers, but they're talking about other ways. They, they seem to want to make a dent. Do you think that actually comes to any, you know, fruition? I mean, obviously, Republicans for a long time have tried to make dents with minorities. Um, I think that the, you can't look at minorities as a unified group. Uh, they're very different. You know, they break into different segments and they have different preferences. I think that Trump will do better among uh, Latinos, especially Mexicans, than he did in 2016. Uh, you know, he's not going to come close to winning them, but I think he'll break 30 percent of the vote there. And that could be decisive right. in keeping Arizona Republican. Uh, he's making a big play for the African-American vote. I think uh, he might increase his share of the vote a tiny bit. And every vote helps in the Midwest where African-Americans are the bedrock Democratic constituency. But more importantly, I think that if 
uh, if uh, the swing African-American voter who rarely turns out doesn't feel threatened by Trump, uh, then they won't get Obama-level turnouts. And if Democrats don't get Obama-level turnouts, uh, that makes them more reliant on blue-collar voters to win back the Midwest. And as we saw in Iowa, that uh, that play is just not working so far. Uh, so I think he, 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 he he's very right to be talking to African-American voters and Hispanics. You just have to temper your expectations if you're a Republican for what it could do. Uh, but it could be good enough. Uh, even if it's small margins of improvement that could uh, secure the president's re-election. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, last question for you today, because we want to let you go, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Um, there was a poll out this week that said that the Republican Party has the highest approval rating it's had since 2005. I believe it was at 51, 52 percent um, compared to, I think it was like 45 percent earlier this year or last year. And then, of course, president's approval rating on Gallup now um, is at an all-time high, and it's, it's higher than where Obama's was at this point. Uh, do you think that – or what is your prediction for 2020? I know that's kind of a, a tough question, but does the president you know, win a landslide, and do the Republicans take the House? Do, they, you know, do the Democrats hold on to it? You know, what happens with the Senate? Give us the full prediction real quick. I know – these are just yeah. predictions, so no strings attached. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to predict the race nine months out. That's just uh, – that's. Uh, <laughs> I got to try. It, it, I got to try. Yeah, well, yeah. That, this is the thing is uh, um, I, the reason I'm, I'm good at what I do is because I look at probabilities, not certainties, and you right. don't uh, provide that uh, nine months out. I'll tell you what I do think. I think the president is uh, turning up his uh, – I don't look at any one poll. You look at averages of polls, and the averages of polls have him at or near his uh, uh, all-time high. Uh, I think uh, Republicans have a chance at regaining the House, but right now you'd have to say that the Democrats are the favorites. But there's eight months to go, and you look at the dynamics and how things are playing, and unless the Democrats get their game in order pretty quickly – I think the field is likelier to move in Trump and Republican direction, and the question is whether it's large enough to, uh, you know, to, to give the president a solid reelection and give Republicans a chance at the House. And it's too soon to say, but the trends are looking better for Republicans and Democrats as we speak. Mm-hmm. Well, Henry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We always appreciate your insight, um, and and it's it's always great to hear from you. Uh, thanks for having me back. So that, that was Henry Olson from the Washington Post. We're going to continue here on American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Uh, he writes for the Washington Post, like we said, and he's also a fellow for the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You can follow him on Twitter there. Uh, check out our, our page, you know, or my own Twitter at Ben underscore D-A-T-D. We'll, we'll be tweeting him out today. Uh, this has been American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. So you heard it right there from Henry Olson. I think he made a good point there. You can't predict elections eight, nine months out, but uh, there is an opportunity here. And, you know, I think that impeachment, you know, if Mitt Romney perhaps hadn't switched, it would have been a lot easier for Republicans to spin this as a victory. But it still is a victory, obviously, because the president was acquitted, and that's the bottom line. That's what people are going to remember weeks from now. But um, certainly, you know, if you're a Democrat, you probably should be concerned because, like we were saying you look at where Barack Obama was as compared to now, the different, uh, you know, President Trump actually 
is more popular in America than Barack Obama was, you know, at this point in his reelection. And Obama won reelection. But then again, the Democrats did not do so well. And that is the interesting fact. The fact that, you know, Obama was not able to carry his party with him in the House and the Senate. He, he lost those. Uh, like Trump has been able to hold on to the Senate um, and not lose the House by as many votes as Obama did, which is interesting. The Republican Party itself is doing well. And I think that comes down to the fact that even in this bipartisan government that we have, uh, we are seeing the Trump administration get things done. Some of the moments in the speech this week that we saw is that he wants to, you know, he has started a space force. That they have, he's used his, his um, position as the head of the, you know, foreign policy in America, as the commander in chief, to negotiate with uh, the South, many South American countries so that, you know, they would detain asylum seekers prior to getting to the United States, something that Europe has kind of done with the EU. Um, it's been a successful policy, like he said. The border crossings are significantly down. Um, the wall is being built. Whether or not you agree with the means, you know, he made certain promises and seems to be following through with those promises. And it's very easy for the Republicans to tout all the accomplishments they've done. The Democrats, you don't really see that, which is the interesting thing. I mean, health care is obviously talked about, but they seem to constantly overshoot, you know, what I think American, the American voters would go for. The American voters don't want to go for health care that, you know, uh, gets rid of their private insurance. Even if they keep, you know, I don't think most American voters are, are against the federal government um, offering a Medicare for all plan. But if it means ridding themselves of private insurance, I don't think they go for that. If you're a Republican, you got to fight back against that. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. The other example, okay, look at the State of the Union. President Trump invites this mother who has a child who was born after 21 weeks, six days. Okay. And due to the new technology we have in previous years, that might not have been possible. And the Democrats, when he says that he wants to announce a plan to ban late term abortion, none of them clap. Do you guys know what the the abortion, when you're no longer allowed to get an abortion in, in Sweden, it's, uh, I believe it's like 18 weeks. You can check me on it. It's either 18 or 16. After 18 or 16 weeks, you can no longer get an abortion in Sweden. Germany's close to that. You know, European countries, most of them embrace that policy. Only in America do you have a majority party arguing that you should be able to abort a baby up until death. Literally because the president has taken um, such stark positions on, on many things that, strong positions on many things that most Americans agree on, Democrats have, have you know, drifted drifted over so far, so far left, you wonder, you wonder if they, they <laughs> are even human beings sometimes. But they are. We should treat them as such. So what a week it's been, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich. We'll be back on Monday with more. 
Check us out on Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud, American View, WRFH.